one let's go what's up everybody welcome to the arts of data science happy hour it is friday august 26th this is happy hour number 94 that means only six more to go to hit that number 100 um i think we might have to make it a big big party man it's gonna be a good time uh thank you all for being here appreciate y'all hanging out no new episodes of the podcast released this week remember that I'll be coming back with interviews uh, released on the podcast at the beginning of the year. Starting January, we're going to be uh, releasing more episodes that are uh, interviews. But in the meantime, I will be doing interviews live on LinkedIn, streamed on YouTube and all that. So do keep an eye out for those, um, but they will be released as episodes later. Thank you all so much for being here. Shout out to everybody in the room at the moment. We got Keith McCormick. Keith, good to see you. Surge in the building. Jennifer, what's going on? Eric Russell and Christian, good to see y'all. So Jennifer uh, sent some awesome questions to kind of kickstart the discussion with. As you guys know, sometimes I'd be fumbling to find questions to start the discussion with because, you know, I I just kind of jump right into it. Uh, And then Keith has got another question to um, kick off the uh, discussion with as well. Um, I like this one uh, from Jennifer. What's your superpower? Your superpower. Superpower is the one thing that you do better than others around you that you do better than anything else you do, uh, that you do easily with little effort, that you do freely um, without being asked or paid to do your superpower. That's a great one. Um, is being curious a superpower? Could that be considered a super superpower, Jennifer? Because if, if there's anything that has led to any amount of success that I've had, it's just being curious about things. And then also just getting really obsessed about things so i guess uh, i guess that's the same thing is it curious and obsessed what are your thoughts jennifer mm-hmm. absolutely that's a superpower you betcha so what about you what is uh, what is your superpower and then i'd love to hear from everyone here uh then in the meantime if you guys got questions on linkedin let me know i'm keeping an eye out on the chat for any questions uh, if you're watching on youtube and you got questions let me know i'm keeping an eye out on youtube as well uh, we'll do a round robin on jennifer's question and we'll get to keith's uh, question but jennifer yeah what is your superpower I would say mine is organizing things like my spice rack has to be alphabetized, has to be in a certain order. The pantry, I had a real estate agent walk into my pantry and say, oh, well, you must never use this. Like, no, I'm in there multiple times a day and it has to be this neat and organized. Um, I have been known to organize other people's closets and pantries as well. So um, I would say organization. That is one uh, super weakness of mine is uh, being organized. It's just very, very difficult for me to organize stuff. Uh, Eric Sims, let's hear from you. What's your superpower? Uh, by the way, if you're listening on YouTube or on LinkedIn, uh, watching the live stream, let me know if you got questions. Uh, we'll do a round robin on this. We'll go to uh, Eric, then we'll go to Keith. We'll hear about Keith's superpower. And then if anybody wants to share their superpower in the Zoom room, feel free to just uh, use the raise your hand icon and I will call on you. Uh, go for it, Eric Sims. Yeah, I would say my superpower is like being obsessively original. Like I just get so bored so easily, which is why I have a Millennium Falcon background. It's why I do silly side projects like fortune cookie movies and, uh, you know, just like like things like that ever since I was a little kid, um, that just that sort of thing off the wall. And the reason I think it's a superpower is because it, allows me to approach old things in new ways and keeps things interesting. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, let's go to uh, 
let's let's go to Keith, then Russell, then Christian, and uh, and then we'll we'll see if anybody else has uh, has anything to add. Uh, Keith, go for it. Then Russell, then Christian. Sure, but you mentioned in the definition that it can't be um, work related or, or or not paid, which which makes it a little bit tough for me because I'm with you on the on the curiosity thing. My favorite part of a project is the beginning when I ask all kinds of questions like, "Are you sure that's what you want to do with the project?" Right? Or let's say we could wave our magic wand and build this wonderful model. What are you going to use it for? I love I love asking questions like that, and that's when you really get at the heart of the issue. But uh, but I'm kind of thinking of it through a work lens. I'm sure I'm like that in my personal life too, but uh, I mostly think of it the work way. You can have a work lens on it. That's fine. It's the thing you do if you did, even if you didn't get paid to do it, which probably for you is asking questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't don't tell clients that necessarily. Uh, but uh, I, I can't help myself at that stage. I really want to know. I want to kind of reverse engineer the problem and and all that kind of thing. So uh, so yes, it is it's it is work related, but it's also just a a compulsion, you know. Let's go to uh, Russell, and then we'll go Christian, Serge, Costa. Russell, go for it. Okay, thanks, Alfred. Um So I'd say my superpower is um, paying attention or observance. Uh, I just I'm, I'm interested in everything around me, and I like to look at the details between most of the people who know me especially my wife think i'm an alien because i just notice these odd things and they just can't believe they're like how did you even notice that but i, I find interest in the smallest details so yeah i said that's that's my superpower paying attention and uh, observing so also super weakness of mine i'm very uh, inattentive at times it takes a lot of effort and energy for, for me to uh, use attention. Uh, but Russell, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, let's go to uh, Christian. Thanks, Harpreet. Yeah, I would say uh, being enthusiastic and animated when I talk. Um, I've always been like that. And honestly, even when I'm just with, you know, my family and friends, I will randomly like blast out a movie quote, you know, at a social setting, because that's just who I am. And I like to be funny. So it's definitely helped in interviews as well, having that. So Thank you very much, Christian. Let's go to Serge, then Costub, and then after Serge and Costub, we'll go uh, circle back around to uh, Keith's question. Okay, so I think mine is, um, although I'm curious as well, mine is uh, creativity. I think I can't avoid being creative, um, even to even when it's not pertinent, <laughs> even when it's not needed. You know, I'm trying to think outside of the box when everything's well in within the box <laughs> and there's no need for that but um yeah i, I just i, I want to see what else it can be missing because um yeah i it really bothers me when i'm i'm you know the whole picture isn't there and there's something else and i kind of feel i have to kind of color outside of the lines to get to the core of something um also it's helped me with um you know like uh i guess uh uh promotion, uh, you know, marketing, things like that, I guess. Um, and, and it's always been second nature for me with play with graphics, things like that. You know, I started doing Photoshop. It's like the first version you know, many years ago and I've never stopped using it. Um, and you did uh, you did something just the other day I remember seeing it was uh, with the stable, dif was it stable diffusion that you did something with or was that? Uh, no, it's, it, um, 
stable diffusion. Uh, no, it's a, it's a different diffusion. I, for, I forget the name of diffusion, but yeah, yeah. something, a diffusion model. Talk to yeah. us real quick. Uh, a quick. Give us a quick overview of what it was that you what you uh, that you did because I thought it was super interesting. And um, how can people find out more about that? Because I think you did post a link to a really cool notebook uh, as well. Disco diffusion, yeah. Disco diffusion. Um, that's what it was. Yeah. So what what I did was I I've been playing around with these generative models for a while, but I kind of felt like for it 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 worked well if you I was doing like a single image, but if I was trying to generate, uh, you know, a continuous, like an animation, there was always like quirks to it. So I figured, how do I, I get like an input that is smooth, um, you know, throughout, you know, and, and that it has enough uh, like character it, because there's another way of doing it. And it's just basically you're, you're generating each, uh, you're like zooming in into each frame using the other one as reference. So that to me, it's not really interesting. So I figured, there has to be something else. And I, I remembered the first uh, computer generated images I created and the first computer generated animations I created were actually fractals. Mm -hmm. And I figured fractals are just so nice. They're so natural. They're also so smooth. Why don't I use those as inputs? And uh, so I, I generated all these of uh, this animation based on these fractal animations. Um, so one is on a, like a Japanese sand pond, you know, with the lotus blossom and all that. Another one is like a Star Wars theme one. So you see all like the Star Wars elements like spiraling around. And I figured, well, there's just so much creativity that can be drawn from this. So I encourage people to kind of use the, the Mandelbrot. It could be any kind of fractal, but the Mandelbrot is probably the best one for that. Um, and uh, zoom animations or any kind of animations based on that to generate their uh, AI generated art. So yeah, the Mandelbrot set stuff is super interesting. Like I absolutely like I'm a huge fan of uh, the great Benoit Mandelbrot. Uh, I think I got one of his uh, books, uh, The Misbehavior Markets, which is really interesting when you applied the his fractal theory to, to help markets move. But how, how does that work? How do you take, I guess, how, how does one generate so okay, so you the yeah the disco diffusion model you pass the input as you said something from from a fractal, and then it goes through some architecture and on the end you've got you know a piece of AI generated art. How does that work at a, at a high level? And what are some like keywords that we should go research if if the uh, listener is interested? The listener being well, uh, so the the way it works is you have um you have each it does each frame individually. So the, the diffusion model is equipped to take an input image individually. So you can feed it an input image. I think uh, it used something called clip guided diffusion, mm -hmm. I think at its core. So it's like the regular diffusion, but it's also using an image and the text. So it can generate something frame by frame. But so that there's some consistency in everything, because then it, it, you know, it could be very creative on the second frame, you know, something completely different than the first frame. You don't want that. So then it, it uses something called optical flow to kind of make sure that whatever comes up from the second frame kind of follows the first frame and so on. So um, yeah, that's a basic like uh, computer, vi computer vision, like old school computer vision thing, which is basically the thought that like, the pixels, like even the ones like we're seeing right now through through your coming through your webcam, like 
we could kind of have like little lines drawn from where one pixel was and it moved like mm -hmm. from one frame to another right and so by doing that you can have like a mapping of any video like the sequence of course that that becomes kind of tricky and that's one of the issues because like if you have a big video and it's broken up into many like uh scenes like obviously it's going to break the flow between one scene and another and so you're going to see all these artifacts that come because you know basically one frame is completely different than one right after it <laughs> and so that's why the the, the mandrobot set is so great because there's it's completely continuous there's no 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 way it's going to be break broken up into scenes um i also tested continuous shots from movies um i haven't posted it but i i took the scene from a bond movie where it's just a single shot like of a bond walking out of a crowd and it, it you know i then i then used as a prop uh some coral reefs and you know like uh, aquatic life or something like that and uh it actually looks like reefs of aquatic life and then you can make out like it's like a puzzle oh is that a person walking through you know but you're not quite sure because it looks like you know a piece of fish and a piece of like something from <laughs> under the sea um <laughs> so it's 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 interesting what you can do with this sort of stuff as well you know it doesn't have to be a mandrobot set i thought that was great but you could any continuous shot is well equipped for this and also, if you have a, a larger piece of video, you could break up the scenes and do each one individually. That's another kind of trick you could do. Um, I've also another thing I've tested, which is really cool, um, is you can take a video of yourself and uh, you can uh, apply these filters to it. So you could say, OK, I, I you know, um, Marvel hero, superhero. And I know you love Marvel, so you'd say, what if I was a Marvel superhero? And then you can do some basic video editing where you're like going like this, right? And as you go like this, you all of a sudden become a Marvel superhero, right? <laughs> right. And so you could do cool things like that, where you're kind of combining live action with the uh, with the uh, with the stuff you've done with the uh, with the diffusion models. So is... it's, it's gonna it's really gonna put out of business a lot of digital yeah. artists because it's just so easy to do this stuff, um... honestly. I think it'll make movies a lot cooler, though. That is for sure. Uh, Serge, thank you so much. That's uh, like uh, th there's a notebook that uh, Serge had linked to in his LinkedIn post. Um, I'll try to dig that up and, and link to it here, and uh, we'll, we'll link it to uh, to LinkedIn as well. By the way, if you're watching on LinkedIn, you got questions, please do let me know. Also, if you're watching on LinkedIn and have not yet smashed a like on this video, please go ahead and do so right now. Uh, let's go to uh, speaking of computer vision and superpowers. Let's go to uh, Costa. Costa, go for it. That was uh, fascinating, Serge. At some point, um, I'm actually curious what what do you what software do you usually use to do like your effects video editing stuff? I mean, I've always dipped my toes in audio engineering and video and like video editing, but it's mostly just been DaVinci Resolve and just basic video editing, right? Uh, just I'm a bit of a VFX nerd as well, and I never tried it, right? Um, where would I start? Something like that. Um, well, there's there's plenty of tools online. Like I, I use like I, I mean I, I love After Effects. Uh, sometimes occasionally Premiere. I'm like a an Adobe guy. I, I love all, everything Adobe does. Uh, but um, for some things, it's just so quick to do it online. Just drop something. There's there's this service called Capwing, Capwing, something like that. 
Um, and I've been using that for a while just to do some very simple things like crop an, an image or a video mm -hmm. and add some effects to it. Uh, things that, you know, for better or worse, are slightly more complicated to do in, in, in other editing tools, um, video editing tools. That's it. But uh, for like really professional grade stuff, yeah, like After Effects is one of the best, uh, I would say. Um, and some would even uh, say the best, but it, it also depends on, on what kind of, because a lot of other ones come with a lot of plugins um, out of the box that for After Effects you have to get. So that's, I believe, the main complaint people have about After Effects. Um, sure. You know, uh, but I, I think it is a great tool nonetheless. Yeah, I've I've been on that I've been on the edge of that cliff for quite a while now. I watch a lot of uh, Corridor Crew and Corridor Digital videos, and just like always on the edge of that cliff, going ah. Oh. When I get a weekend, I want to you know dive into some visual effects and do some motion tracking stuff, and you know uh, that 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 alone would be really fun. Just doing some a bit of motion tracking stuff and just add literally like a superhero's outfit to uh, to me or whatever it is, right? So. Super tempting. Um, to answer your question on the whole superpowers thing, uh, I, I guess the two, I've got two superpowers, one which I'd like to trade for something else if anyone's got suggestions. Um, one, one, one is creativity, right? Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a musician and, a, and I love everything performing arts. So I, I like to deal with things through that lens a lot, even if it's got nothing to do with it. Um, Everything from writing resume to you know how you present, like you know how you present findings at work, right? Um, all of that is performing arts for me, right? Um, so I, I do look at things through that creative lens, and I like to utilize skills from different weird and wonderful areas. Um, and I'd like to keep that superpower. The superpower I'd like to get rid of actually is um, so the way I get through a lot of challenges is just. Hey, throw more effort at it. Lose sleep, cut the sleep, and just throw more effort at it, right? Um, it's been a great superpower for me so far. Um, it's got me where I've got to so far, and I'm happy about that. But uh, I'm starting to see the other side effect of that, right? So um, I'm just wondering if it's time I retired that superhero from my uh, from my little <laughs> MCU of my own. Um, so yeah, that's that's my superpower side of things. Uh, just speaking of the optical flow and computer vision stuff, there a um, bit of a tangent. I picked up this book recently. It released, and uh, this is not a paid plug at all. But I figured Harper, you'd actually really enjoy it. Zaliski, this guy, he's come out with a second edition. I'll, I'll I'll put the link in the chat in case this video is backwards. I, I have a feeling it might be backwards. Um, but Richard Zaliski, it's a Springer book on computer vision, right? So the first edition had pretty, pretty chunky, right? It's a few hundred pages. Um, the first edition didn't have too much on the deep learning side. I think it came out in like 2011. Um, pretty decent book. I mean, I, I read that one cover to cover in undergrad and in postgrad again. Um, second edition came out earlier this year, and it's got this really nice mix of classical computer vision as well as... Um, uh, as well as deep learning, right? All focused towards computer vision. And and yeah, I think they, they spend a fair chunk of time on the optical flow stuff. Um, and, th and this is, a, to me, this is probably foundational reading for computer vision, right? Like, I mean, you've got to get through <laughs> Zaliski at least once. It's like Forsyth and Ponce is the other 
like computer vision classic if you're if you're a robotics guy um just because they like in foresight and fonts they put a lot of it into how do we apply computer vision uh into robotics like the whole optical flow stuff we use that for for literally uh odometry so instead of using like a, a gp uh, instead of using a gps or or a magnetometer or an accelerometer to tell you how you've moved you take two cameras and then you say hey this pixel over here moved like that much i know the camera intrinsics i know i know like the the shape of the lens i know the the field of view, uh, view i know all of those things and i've got some other reference points as well um potentially a depth sensor or something like that as well for distance but i know that this pixel has moved this much so i must have turned x degrees right um and and there's been a lot of work done on visual odometry that way um using a bunch of feature detectors along the way it's a bit old school but they're always kind of building on that and throwing a layer of deep learning on top of that as well um so that's a super interesting and i've been diving right back into that just to kind of refresh myself a little bit um so yeah that's what i've been doing and uh if anyone's got suggestions on what to trade off that superpower for, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> definitely check out that book uh, for sure. Got it queued up here. Uh, Coastal, thank you very much. Uh, shout out to everybody that just joined us. Uh, Greg Okio is in the building. Good to see you, Greg. Matt Blaza in the house as well. Albert Bellamy making some, uh, looks like spinach and strawberry salad. <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, Fabio Vasquez. Fabio, dude, so good to have you here. Fabio is one of like the original OG influencers of mine when I first started getting active on LinkedIn back in like, 2017 or 2018 and it's it. Guys, have you here? So happy. Um, I never. So I think you sent me a message some months ago, but I got here by by accident. But I'm happy to see all these pretty faces here. So yes. nice to to talk to you guys. Yes, I did. I messaged you in November of 2020, Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> I know how busy you are, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you here, man. And, uh, you know, excited to get you in on uh, on some of the discussion. Uh, speaking of discussion, Keith, go for it. Oh, um, yeah, I know that the question that we talked about, but before we move on at the risk of this conversation being a, a little bit too random, but I think that's part of the fun, right? That's I, wanted to, I wanted to keep going on the computer vision thing just a little bit more and maybe Serge can, can comment on this first and then everybody can jump in. So, there was some buzz on LinkedIn this week. It was a thought leader that I'm embarrassed. I can't think the the name of, but somebody was speculating that Dolly 2 would affect the stock photo market. You know, if you're thinking about, you know, marketing and, you know, apparently it's $5 billion industry and you just want a landscape with a sun going down or something like that. I mean, maybe there's a market for avocado chairs too. I don't know, but... But you know, if you just wanted to do fairly standard stock photo stuff, but with some specific things, um, that's going to look realistic pretty soon if it doesn't already. So it just seemed like a really interesting theory, and I wondered what everybody uh, thought about it. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. I think I think I have seen that same article that you're referencing. I at least have clicked on the headline. But yeah, that is really, really interesting. If five billion dollar industry for stock photos that's crazy man i mean it, it's uh, who gets the rights to to these images and and like you know how how do you work with royalty that like that's that's interesting let's uh well the photographers do they you know they set up yeah. little studios and they do a close-up on a lemon or you know yeah. 
whatever well, but, it is. And then somebody, somebody needs that, you know? Yeah. So the idea is that, um, that it, it made sense. Cause when you think about it, W2 is the whole thing is fascinating, but you wonder, you know, what's the, the business application of the raccoon in the space yeah. suit. <laughs> and I guess I just, I was content to have fun with it and not worry about the business implications, but that LinkedIn post got me thinking. So yeah. Serge, I'm, I'm curious to get your two cents on that or anybody's. Well, yeah, I, I think it definitely there's some truth to that. Um, I think it, especially for like, if you, if you want something that is, you know, probably, probably may, may only have in any way stock footage, like two or three of those. So like, if you say, well, I want like a, a visual of, you know, like, uh, you know, like an, an orange, like sliced in half with, I don't know, you know, sitting on a sofa, you know, or something like that. It might not exist anyway, you know, or maybe a variation, it might exist in stock footage, and it might be like $80. So what's, you know, you think, okay, well, I'm not going to pay those $80 for that picture. Or, you know, if you if you need to actually uh, post it somewhere, uh, where it, all of a sudden requires a commercial license, it could be more expensive than that. Might as well just, you know, you, you pay your subscription to whatever uh, service you have, whether Dolly or and you use the credits and you, you can create endless amounts of variations on that same thing. So I, I think it, it just would make sense, uh, you know, to, to, to use that instead. So it's going to create another industry, which is okay. I think uh, the stock footage image industry is not going to cease to exist. It's just going to have its original purpose, you know, and originally stock footage was like stuff that really needed to be licensed, like sports images, images of, you know, um, you know, Hollywood actors in a ball or something that were exclusive or something. And you needed it for like news purposes to document what happened and those events. And that was it. Right. Yeah. Let's but yeah, let's go to Fabio. Go for it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I've been testing every platform out there for a while. I have access to Dali, luckily. I, I have access to, to Mid Journey. I don't know if you check Mid Journey, I like even better than Dali too. Um, uh, and um, what I see is that so going to what Serge was saying, in the future, it's gonna be very hard to, to differentiate what's was what is real and what was created by a machine and that will have some conflicts i mean if we go i mean i think someone asked in the in in the chat about how good is the system for for faces and stuff like that right now it's bad most of the tools are not good but it's gonna change real fast and in the next five years we're going to be able to create images that we won't have a way to, to differentiate what's true and what's not true. DALI, because it's from OpenAI, have a lot of things in there. Um, what's the name of this? Like the, the, the policies and so on that prevent this uh, to happen. And they, they know that they don't want to create too realistic things. And they say that. I mean, if they create super, super realistic stuff. But from what I've seen so far, the, the diffusion models are going to be changing the way we do things. And right now, the only thing we do is just have fun on a computer 
and saying, I want a dog jumping in the bed. But I, this is going to a place we have no idea. I mean, uh, can you imagine having a conversation like this 10 years ago? It's going to be, I mean, it was not that easy, right? To have it on YouTube and, and on, on, on everywhere. So I can imagine things happening. And from the guys from OpenAI, I don't know if you saw Codex, an, an amazing platform they're, they're building that's going to be changing not only the way we, we do images, but the way we code, the way we think about things. And I think we are on the path right now of, uh, of what we call hyper automation. This, this hyper automation is going to be good for some, bad for others. I always tell my students, go to companies building products. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want to be out of job in 10 years, go to companies that are building products or to build a product. If you're going to be only a, uh, a user of, of these technologies, you're going to be lost in the space in five, 10 years. So um, I, I think right now there is an, a, a, a lot of interesting things going on in there. Right now, mostly for fun, but I think in the next years, we'll see a lot of things happening in the way we do things in data science, in, in machine learning, and in everyday stuff. I mean, there is even right now things for videos. I, I, there is a, a tool I don't remember. Uh, and I, I catch some of the discussion uh, earlier that is doing automation on, 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 the, on the, the creation of videos. I mean, can you imagine a DALI for videos? That would, that would be amazing, right? Like you say, I want a video for person typing. And I, I mean, that can save a lot of time for people. So again, right now for me, it's a, just a fun application of, of computer vision. But I am sure that in the next years, we have no idea where this is going. And it's, it's going to be a very interesting thing. Yeah, man. Hard to make predictions, especially about the future, <laughs> for sure. Uh, thank you so much, Fabio. Um, uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Greg, then Co-Step, then back to Surge. By the way, you guys watching on LinkedIn, on YouTube, you got questions, do let me know. Happy to take your questions. Uh, Greg, then Co-Step, then Surge. Go for it. Yeah, in terms of uh, Ali, I'm just, uh, I'm a little bit more interested about how, you know, marketing teams, design teams will work going forward, right? Say, for example, if they're having issues with licensed photos because they're generating so much content to get people to buy their products, how can they use this tool to kind of create images that they don't have to worry about licensing that they will own and change um, and push people's behaviors into buying their products? So I think people who created DALI are probably also thinking about doing that, right? Where, you know, startups or other companies will have access to DALI and pay a low fee to be able to, you know, push content out there. And then you have the independent content creators, right? Um, I don't have to go out there and to a stock photo provider to purchase images for my articles. Can I use DALI to create those images and then put them in my article for people to consume, right? Without having to worry about proprietary stuff. Um, I think this is, you know, those are applications that I'm very interested in seeing grow from a mass adoption perspective. And um, also I was, I remember um, reading a post from Cassie, um, uh, from Google, Cassie 
for Zukov. I don't want to, uh, yeah. Um, and she did mention uh, uh, something about Dali, which I which I agree with, uh, which is, you know, we, this is an, an AI tool that we're using because I'm, I'm trying to answer, uh, I think Keith, you mentioned who takes responsibility for these uh, created images. So I think there's a, there, there's shared responsibility. Uh, to me, you have the creator of DALI to, to your point Fabio, they have safeguards that prevents, you know, um, certain images from being created, especially on the uh, billions of things they've been trained on. There could be things that are offensive, that, have, that are biased and stuff like that. So they're really making sure they have the, the safeguards around that. And then you, as the, you know, thinker um, with the creative mind, you're using this tool just like a pen, you know, that you use to draw an image. You're using AI to draw the image. But the idea of that person, that orange sitting on a couch, like you say, Eric, uh, the idea comes from you and the tool executes it. So really, it's a, it's a men to human, uh, it's a human to machine collaboration. Um, with shared um, responsibility. And I think some of that responsibility needs to sit with you too, who's using the tool. So uh, I'm more interested into how this will grow and also you know, uh, uh, create mass adoption and where uh, we can really see something come, come out of this um, while we you know, continuously put safeguards uh, around those things. So yeah, I saw a post um, by Lawrence Moroni, who's at, I think he's head of like developer relations or something at, at Google. Um, and he talked about how he used uh, mid journey actually to take the description he had from a sci-fi character in a novel he was writing and created like an image of that, that character. And I thought that was, that was super cool. I mean, it, yeah. I think it just augments human creativity, right? Like correct. there's people out there who have interesting ideas and, and they might be artistic ideas, but maybe they physically can't can't draw it out. Can't draw, yeah, yeah. And this just facilitates that getting their idea out in the world quicker. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, let's uh, let's go to Coast Up, then back to Surge, and uh, uh, shout out to Tom Ives in the building. Good to see you, Tom Ives, uh, Matt Plaza as well. Uh, and then uh, Vin, let's let's hear from you on this topic as well. So let's go Coast Up, Surge, Vin, and then Tom. I'd love to hear from you if you got uh, anything to add. So. I think I think we've touched on this a few times already, but if you look at anything that's that was kind of mass available post, say, two thousand and two, right? Uh, whether it's YouTube, whether it's you know uh, being able to put stuff up on SoundCloud, music sharing, video sharing, image sharing, uh, you know, we've eventually gone through this almost this um this life cycle of like initial early adopters that are just excited about the tech and put random crap up there. Like the first few videos on YouTube weren't exactly production quality, right? Uh, but over time, now you're getting highly curated content. You're getting, uh, you know, highly well-produced content, like to the point of stuff like, uh, uh, oh, what is it? Crash Course History and stuff like that that's really specifically designed for people to learn from it, right? Um, you're you're going to see it probably a very similar life cycle with things like this as well. Right now, it may not be photorealistic, but I mean, you can immediately say of like Dali, it's quite decent at like cartoons and little like, uh, you know, 
um, hand-drawn hand-drawn kind of things, like for picture books and things like that, right? How much easier is it going to be if I want to teach, create a picture book for, you know, uh, kids today, they want to learn about something new. They don't have picture books with the right information in it, right? We want to start teaching about different things. We can start creating that just because we know what we want. We don't necessarily need the drawing skills to do that. So you're going to see this accessibility to creativity, right? Um, it's what you saw with YouTube. It's what you saw with things like SoundCloud, things like Instagram, what was it, Tumblr and stuff like that, right? Um, now, I'm not saying this is going to replace artistic, like, creation, but the thing that excites me about it is that there is a degree of um, understanding uh essentially our semantic uh like things that we that, that we define as humans right like i say a bear and it comes up with a bear so there's an understanding of content not just hey make this black and white or things like that right um there, there's there's just additional communication layer now where through a few lines of text a computer is able to understand quite abstract and quite complicated uh, combinations of things, right? So it's one step closer to me to that um, human computer interfacing that's just getting that additional layer of content understanding and context understanding, right? So that's the exciting bit to me. Now, I, I don't know if it'll necessarily replace creativity. Now, like, for example, you look at how specific um, videography is and filmmaking is, right? Um, is it, are you going to be able to turn around and say, hey, I want, uh, yeah, sure, I want, a, I want a video of someone typing. Great. But I want a video of someone typing in this way, framed in this manner, lit in this particular way, right? Are we going to be able to get to that? Because um, if we can get to that, it just makes filmmaking like a super accessible art form, right? But I, I think there's a degree of human input and creativity there that uh, you're just not going to see rivaled anytime soon. So I'm, I'm just curious to see where it goes, right? But it is, it's one of those interesting opportunities that starts off as, hey, this is fun, but who knows? It might be the start of like early day YouTube videos that eventually people will find a way to, we're human. We find ways to monetize basically anything, all right? Like that is our superpower, I think, as a, as a species. We'll find ways to make other humans pay for the things that we do. <laughs> I mean, uh, is that the most cynical thing I've said it is, in any of your pretty, podcasts? That's pretty, it's pretty good, though. Pretty true. <laughs> but I mean, like, just to how far does it go? Like, we end up with an AI rapper, FN Mecca, right? Like, like you know, getting signed by Capitol Records and then getting dropped by Capitol Records because of uh, his use of very inappropriate language, uh, you know, mm. use of the N word. And it's like, okay, like, that's. That, that's interesting. It's an interesting case study, but I digress. Let's go to uh, Serge, then we'll go to Vin, and then we'll go to uh, 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 Tom. Hey, uh, hey a, quick, a quick thing, Harpreet. Yeah. yeah. It's FN Mecca is the artificial uh, uh, asset, but the voice is human-based for now. Oh, okay. So the human was using those words. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, but we, we <laughs> can talk about that another time. So, yeah. yeah, it's 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 interesting situation. Huh. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Serge, go for it. Yeah, and uh, I think I said in another of these sessions, like uh, the question was like, what what would you you been if not a data scientist? And I would have been some kind of uh, FX artist or 
modeler or something, uh, animator. Um, in fact, I was a 3D modeler for a video game as, as an intern once. Uh, I loved it. Um, but in any case, like I, I, those were back in the days, and I don't know if you guys uh, remember Winamp and the visualizations that you would see in Winamp. And they were all like fractal based. And I thought that was so cool. Like we could, um, what if uh, there was like a live feed of, of sounds, including music, and uh, you know, it was responding, the fractals were re responding to that and then overlaying a, you know, generated art on top of it, like on the fly. Of course, like the GPU would have to keep up, you know, with uh, 24, 30 frames per second <laughs> um, and, and, and keep, you know, generating stuff based on that. That would be so cool, I think. And then if, if you also had, in addition to the sound, you had some kind of image input and that image was the, of the person like standing in the room, uh, you know, then, then it could, you know, feed off it or if there was some other visual input. So yeah, I was just thinking what what are the like the applications of that, you know, like at clubs, uh, you know, restaurants for like ambience that didn't bore people. Like um, even the, the music could be AI generated, you know, there's no reason it couldn't be, you know, especially for like all that like quote unquote elevator music. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think it, it will, be reductive towards art, but I think it will also raise the bar of what people have to create, I think, uh, from now on. At the same time, it also create avenues for, uh, you know, companies to exploit other things. Like, um, like I was seeing this video the other day of how AI can use to use to personalize uh, digital assets uh, in all kinds of things. So imagine you're, you're watching a show and it's personalized all like the backdrop. So all like the branding is geared exactly towards you and you don't realize it, but it's, it's showing the products that they think you aspire to. If you like some artists, they will show a poster of that artist and all that sort of stuff that, that will be AI, maybe not generating the images, but, you know, generating the, you know, it's predicting what you like. And based on that, it's placing it in the scene in real that's, time. That's, that's crazy. That's, uh, that's actually pretty cool. And like, that's a, a doable, probably a doable thing that's probably not too far off in the future like the future no. ads are are in generative models like straight up uh speaking of ai music though real quick there's uh somebody who i follow on linkedin that's probably one of my favorite people uh dr tristan uh i can't pronounce his last name uh barons b-e-h-r-e-n-s uh he's got some awesome content also puts out interesting uh, ai music as well um yeah, Serge, that's a lot of uh, stuff to uh, think about there. Thank you. Let's go to uh, Vin. After Vin, let's go to Tom. Uh, shout out to everybody else in the room. If you got a question and you're watching on LinkedIn, you got a question or a comment, do let me know in the comment section there. If you're in the room here and you got a question, uh, just let me know. And uh, happy to get to your question. Otherwise, we'll continue on this interesting uh, discussion. Uh, Vin, go for it. Yeah, there are already a lot of brands that use customized images. They're not being generated on the fly, but there's a, a whole lot of recommendations behind what's in an image, especially in ads, you know, what image should I serve you along with this ad in order to trigger a buying response? And that's been running for at least seven years, probably longer than that. I remember in the second Iron Man video, they messed with putting, uh, they experimented in that racetrack scene with what should be put in the background, where it should be put in the background. And it was actually a company in Reno 
that did some of the machine learning behind experimenting with that. And so it's been around forever when it comes to marketing. We're just now getting to the point where real time is possible. And so when you're talking about what are the implications of this, you're all kind of hitting on it. It's this concept of real time generation and serving. You know, if you can change things in response to your audience, content changes completely at that point. Because you can't have a person do that. There's no way to have a person shoot eight different endings to a movie or five different versions of every single scene, let alone when you start segmenting, you'd want 75, you'd want 130 if you're a big enough company. And so the only way you could do any of this is if you have some machine learning put in there and really you're doing some version of deep fakes with your actors, actresses being sort of simulated in real time, changing, reacting, really engaging and interacting with the audience. And so that's, and three years ago, if I'd have said that, I would have sounded like I was fringe, like you're nuts. You know what I mean? That, that sounded crazy two years ago and it's not crazy today. Now we're talking about it and saying, yeah, I could, that's, that's not far off. And I'm talking about this in an article that I'm publishing tomorrow, but we're not, as far away as we think we are from all of these next generations, you know, it's all one, two, three generations away. We're changing so quickly. We're advancing so fast. You know, two generations could be eight months. Three generations could be 14 months away. No one's ready for any of this. It really is unexplored territory at this point. But a whole bunch of people are already jumping on the bandwagon trying to figure out how to exploit it. They're trying to figure, you know, you, and Costa just nailed it. He said, we can, we can monetize anything. Yes, and we can also use anything for the absolute worst case scenario. It's almost like, what is the greatest thing we could do with this? And immediately after asking that question, somebody else says, well, what's the worst? And they go and do that. And I think if you want to look at the implications of something like Dolly 2 and our move towards increasingly realistic simulations, you know, because that's where we're going. We're building increasingly realistic simulations and we're being able to build them in real time. That's kind of scary because social media by itself right now is immersive, addictive. We can get people to do a lot of things they shouldn't be doing and that they wouldn't have done in any other way by putting content together and using social media well now take it the next step if we have this auto generated if we don't need people building content if we don't need people doing some of these tasks there's a lot of fiendish directions that that's going to end up going in but i think when you talk about creativity what are we going to have to do you look at linkedin and it's a whole bunch of reposts you look at pretty much any social media and you will see repost after repost after repost Pretty soon, you're not going to be able to do that without getting flagged. It's going to be so easy to recognize repost content. And repost content is stuff that a model can very easily mimic. So even if it's not exactly the same, you can type in a variation on this person's content, and it'll give it to you. And so that sense of sort of original, but not really original, variations on common themes none of that's going to be valuable anymore because you've got a machine that can do all that. 
So it's really going to drag in, you know, if you want to be a person, if you want to be a creator, if you want to be differentiated, you're going to have to actually be able to be creative, which not everyone knows how to do. You're going to have to have some originality, some talent involved in this. You know, you can't just dance on video anymore and come up with a different set of steps. And now that's the new viral TikTok. You can't do that anymore. You have to have something that's better. You have to have something that's differentiated, something that's impressive. You know, we can't do stupid human tricks for the rest of our lives. And I think one of the things that models are going to force us to do is be smart like we could be, not be dumb like we're able to be. That's a very powerful, powerful statement. Be smart like we could be, not dumb like we're able to be. Where does it, like where does remix ideas, like remixing ideas and remixing things kind of fit into that? I just picked up this book, haven't read it yet, uh, but this, this remix, remix uh, making art and commerce thrive in the hybrid economy. I always felt like creativity was uh, just taking something and kind of colliding with something that doesn't seem like it goes with it and creating something new from that. Um, I guess that's a tone of the conversation on what is creativity. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's interesting to think that all of that could just be offloaded. You know, the variations on a theme, you talk about it in pharmaceutical research, the, uh, you can, with a model, do a whole bunch of variations on a single theme faster than a person could make some advances that way. And it's truly, you know, you're removing all of that stuff that we pretend is us achieving our potential. And then you're honing in and you're saying, look, we've automated the dumb. Sorry, you can't do dumb anymore. You have to do something else. You have to do smart now. You have to do creative now. You have to do true discovery. You got to actually use your human brain. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be the end benefit to us. But I don't think it's going to be a fun path getting there. Mm -hmm. uh, love that thank you Vin. uh Kosub, let's go to you uh, if you're watching on linkedin uh let me know if you got any questions happy to take your questions um if you're watching on linkedin also be sure to smash like uh, if you're here in the uh, room be sure to uh let me know if you got any questions if you want to you know comment whatever raise your hand uh shout out to uh mario mario i don't think i uh, uh said hi to you hi how's it going uh let's go to uh Kostub, and then after Kosub, we'll go to greg so like someone said in the comments in this week's episode of what Vin said, um, yeah, that's kind of right. <laughs> like uh, there, there's, there's a phrase that I like to extend mostly because it's a phrase that was a phrase that was extended in uh, The Prestige, which is my favorite movie. Um, if anyone hasn't watched it yet, geez, what? go watch The Prestige. It's worth watching, right? Chris Nolan, Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, and Michael Caine and Scarlett Janssen. Fantastic, right? Um, so there's, there's this phrase, I think, I think it's the, the guy that plays Tesla, the Nikola Tesla that says it, right? Um, man's reach exceeds his grasp, but um, what was it? His grasp exceeds his, uh, his, his nerve or his courage or something like that. Um, I can't remember the exact quote, but basically I, I like to extend that by going, the only thing that exceeds all of that is his infinite capacity for stupidity. Right, like we're so capable of doing amazing stuff, but the first thing we come up with is a is an avocado teddy bear or a koala a koala on a, in a in an astronaut suit. Right, like we need to think further than that. What can we actually use this for? That's actually going to benefit. Can we use this for translations? Can we use this for 
something beyond just comical meme generation crap, right? Or is that where this this whole thing dies, right? Um, at what point are we taking technology and maturing technology enough for it to be, uh, yeah, uh, that man's a grass with seeds is nerve, right? Um, but exactly. So at what point do we take technology to a maturity point where we're actually able to use it for something positive and something uh, extremely useful? And at what point do we kind of measure by the wrong stick, right? Like there's this other idea that any uh, metric, the moment it's used to actually measure success, the moment a metric becomes a measure of success, it fails to be a useful metric. And I can't remember where that's from. Someone please pipe up. What is it? I can't remember it, but essentially that's what we're seeing, right? Social media, it's turned into clickbait, like it turned into clickbait 12 years ago when BuzzFeed started like throwing stuff up, right? It, it just, like we're measuring things on clicks. We're measuring things on impressions. We're measuring things that, is that the inherent value? That's a proxy for inherent value that we're providing. Um, is it a particularly good proxy? I don't know. We've got this, we've got this, like Vin was saying, this really addictive social media uh, process. But now let's take that one level further in immersion. Um, it's going to be really easy to fool ourselves. Like it's really obvious. Like you talk to anyone, right? Yeah, sure. Clicks aren't necessarily the greatest uh, like representation of value. Now at face value, you can get most people across the line on that because you can present plenty of good counterexamples. But if you take that beyond the low fidelity uh, item that's a click and turn it into something else take it to the next we're adding another layer of dimension to this right but which is that personalization dimension which is that fully immersive like this is what scares the crap out of me with vr and the whole metaverse crap right um you jump into it you add this additional dimension of immersion and it's going to be so difficult to tell people hey that thing that you think you see value in doesn't actually have any real intrinsic value right um it's already a problem with current day social media. I never have discussed this before on this channel, I think. Um, but yeah, it, it, it could very potentially be an even deeper level. Now, it's like the Nigerian prince problem, right? You don't need to fool everyone to fool enough people to make it bad, right? Like you just need to fool a solid 60% of people, which is not very hard to do, right? Like... Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where this stands, and and yeah, we're we're infinitely capable of leveraging leveraging that for our own means. The question becomes, who steps up and finds good uses for this? That does take us through that hard path of saying, okay, the dumb and dirty stuff, we're not doing that anymore. We've just got to do the things that humans are really inherently good at, right? Um, like we're already seeing that. You look at automation and robotics. You look at self-driving trains. You're seeing uh, autonomous like public transport come into play it's not that far away right it's not too far away it's not it's not unimaginable i think there's a there's a um ride share service in in california my cousin was telling me about this apparently does driverless ride uh, driverless ubers essentially but it's only between like 2 a.m and like 6 a.m because there's no one else on the roads and it goes like 20 20 miles an hour but that's the start of it, right? Like we're, we're going through that hard part of drivers are losing jobs. So they need to do something more than what's capable. But what we're seeing is our capacity as humans is 
accelerating all the time, but the capacity for technology is accelerating that much faster, right? We've only had cars for 100 and 120 years. And in the last 20 years, we've, we've gone from like good cars to, hey, the cars are almost self-driving, right? Um, so what is it that makes us inherently human that we can add positive value from? And that becomes this massive existential question that we've got to ask ourselves when we're creating technologies, how do we create them responsibly, right? We could create them to make a bucket load of money, but should we and what should we make? Um, and that's what concerns me about all of this stuff. Thank you, Costa. You know, uh, I'd love to hear from Tom. Tom, if you got anything to uh, to, to chime in here, I haven't, haven't heard from you, then then we can go to, uh, to uh, Greg and Keith. Uh, Tom, good to see you again. Hey, good to be here. And I love the basement, Heartbreak. Wow. And Keith, I'm feeling hurt because I sent you a private message you didn't reply to. But I've since figured out that's a real background, right? That's super cool looking while you're on mute there. So I'm going to go in and interrupt you. <laughs> I, I wondered why when I posted, it went to you and that I scrolled up and I just wasn't quick enough. No worries. No worries. Hey, um, good to see everyone. Um, I want y'all to know I was in a moment of crisis because uh, Harpreet said he'd call me. I had no effing clue what Dolly 2 was. Now I'm an expert because I perused the Google search results. So now I know what I'm talking about. But seriously, guys, I'm wondering, uh, I, I should start with a confession. When I was young, I fell in love with several movie star actresses. It's true. And I dreamed about relationships with them and everything. And then I came to find out they're not in real life like the characters they played that I fell in love with. I'm not trying to make light of what y'all have been saying, but a lot of what I've heard y'all saying is, this is powerful and it will be abused. Yeah, probably, but you know what? Humans have been good at fooling us, making something not real, presenting it to us, making us fall in love with it. And then later we find it's not real. So I'm not trying to make light of all the horror concerns you're laying out, I think they're real, but um, in a way it's gonna be helpful because we're gonna be less and less trusting of non-reality. That's, that's just my small thought for the day. I hope um, that helped. No, I love it, thank you. It's just uh, great to, he to, to hear your voice, Tom. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go to Greg and after Greg, we'll do Keith. If you're watching on LinkedIn, on YouTube, you got a question, do let me know. Uh, all questions are welcome. Doesn't even have to be related to the uh, topic at hand. We just, uh, this is how we roll. Greg, go for it. For me, it's more of a maybe question I have for the group. Um, like, what do we call creativity? I don't know if anybody, uh, if we explore that deep enough here. And if I missed that, you know, um, sorry about that. What do we call creativity, right? So, um, you know, in, 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 in human, I try, I try to simplify this. In my mind, I call it, you know, uh, having different perspective. I don't know. I've, I've been trying to simplify this, right? People will become creative, have a different perspective, uh, a different sort of awareness around them in terms of um, how to solve certain issues, maybe. Um, and typically when you're 
when your needs are satisfied, at least basic needs, you don't have the drive to become creative in certain aspects. Um, when you want to solve a problem, you are able to uh, put things together uh, very quickly versus other people who are not pushed to do so. And then if that's a good approach, um, is there a way you can train a machine to kind of like look at perspectives a different way and then come up with a solution a different way or more effective way and things like that and call that creativity? And then lastly, if something is born um, that, you know, like a technology or something like that, and nobody uses it or will it, what is the criteria for calling something creative? Like, do we need at least one person to find this useful, right? Um, I was talking to a few friends yesterday and um, he was telling me he went to, I think, Vietnam um, sometime in the past, in the 2000s, and noticed that people in certain areas, they still weren't, um, they still didn't understand how the, the wheels could be very useful to them, like where, you know, they could carry water, uh, they could use it as a tool to do things, right? Which, you know, back way back when, you know, it was a creative tool at the time. Um, so, you know, just wanted to, to, to see that, you know, for you guys, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you define as creative? Can a machine do that? And what is the criteria for calling something creative? Uh, things like that. Yes, interesting, interesting question. Um, it's just like I've, I've interviewed uh, quite a few people talking about creativity on the podcast. Uh, um, I think I went on like a creativity rabbit hole. A couple of episodes I did was with uh, Nir Bashan. I did another one with uh, Natalie Nixon, one with um, also uh, author of the Serendipity Mindset, Christian Bush, um, and a couple other podcast episodes. So if you're listening, definitely check those episodes out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear other people's takes on this. We'll go to Keith uh, next, but I think creativity is just, just like... Read, read the yeah. book. Read the book, The Creativity Code by Marcus de Sotois. It was a good one too. Yes, who was also on my podcast. Yes, uh, he was. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's, that's yeah, we talked all about uh, creativity as well. Uh, that is a good book. Yes, Creativity Code is is really, really good. Um, I, I, I think of, I, I think when we think of creativity as having to take something just completely brand new, this great magical work, and it's like never existed. Like, I think that's too grandiose of a notion of creativity. I think creativity is like, you know, for example, there's like the story of the old philosopher, his name was Diogenes, and he was just, a, he's a famous uh, cynic philosopher. And he's sitting there walking with a cup to uh, to go and then fill some water into it. And he sees a kid drinking water not with a cup or anything but just his own hands right so he's here he has tools available to him in this environment and he puts it to use in, in an unexpected way for him to accomplish some goal right i think that is really what creativity is it's taking whatever your environment has available for you and combining the elements of that environment to achieve some end in an unexpected way i guess like just trying to boil it down as, as simply as possible. Uh, but let's go to, uh, let's, let's hear from Keith uh, Favio. If, you, if you'd like to jump in on this, I'd love to hear from you as well. We'll go to uh, Keith Favio, then Costa. Then if anybody else wants to uh, uh, take a stab at this, I, I, I love this topic. So thank you, Greg. Uh, let me know. Just raise your hand. And I'll, I'll uh, add you to the queue. Uh, Keith, go for it. You're on mute, Keith. Yes, you're, you're muted. Keith, you're on mute. Keith. 
Keith is uh, on mute. There you go. Yeah. It's late in the day. I needed uh, more caffeine. <laughs> maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. So I was I was going to ask if it was appropriate to talk about that other topic that uh, we had discussed, but we can totally do that later or yeah. even table it for another time. Yeah, we can. Uh, we'll circle back to that. Um, we will circle back to that. Yes, uh, but let's uh, let's hear your uh, perspective though on what is creativity, uh, what it means to be creative. Yeah, something um, interesting you mentioned, Harpeet, uh, is that the definition you gave for creativity is very similar that I've seen for intelligence. So that is a very good question from Greg. Because where is the, the stop or, or where's the line between intelligence and creativity? I think they're highly related. Uh, something that was interesting about what you guys said also is, is that is something unexpected. That's, that's interesting, right? Because intelligence doesn't need to be unexpected. It can be something that that's, it's it sounds it comprehends it makes sense to do it, but I think uh, it's very hard to talk about one without the other. It's very hard because um, and um, and I think there's a very famous quote from Einstein, right, uh, talking about knowledge and creativity and 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 that sometimes it's, it's more important to have a good imagination that to know a lot of stuff right and and that was one of the things that drive that that drove him to build something that was completely unexpected for you for those who don't know i mean all my all my career in in the academy i was working with general relativity and einstein's work one of the the most interesting thing about his work is this idea of that Two, two big ideas. First, the gravity is not inst- instantaneous. It takes some time for gravity to do, go to one place to another. We just discovered like, like that like four years ago when we're, we're the discovery of waves in gravity. I mean, we, we knew, right? But we, we knew for sure this a couple of years ago. And the other big thing is that even... Uh, gravity can affect light. So why am I bringing this to the conversation? Because that is completely unexpected. It's not common sense to, to think. Even that it, the earth is moving, it's not common sense, right? Why isn't the, the earth just staying here and, and, and we see everything going around and we're steady here? So I think creativity has been an amazing driver for intelligence and 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 backwards as well and one of the things I, I say to my students is that it's good to know how to do stuff in machine learning or whatever you do but try and thinking on creative ways to solve problems that is what makes a change in companies i have the the luck on on working on 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 H2O right now, and we're building interesting stuff. And one of the things that really matters for the whole AutoML space uh, is creativity, being able to solve problems fast and with creative way in and in creative ways. So 
I mean, I'm happy to hear what you guys think, but uh, my my point and for everyone listening is that both intelligence and creativity are maybe one is maybe the same thing in 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 a way, but it's just different ways to represent one one more abstract or or more more complicated concept that we haven't figured out yet. It's the same thing that Einstein mentioned. Earth, sorry, mass and energy is just it's just the same stuff. It's just we don't see it, right? So that could be interesting forward. Um, and for 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 all of the data scientists or aspiring data scientists are that are listening here in this podcast or conversation, make sure that you're not only following the regular patterns on um, important I could learn and click on and click dot fit make sure to be creative and make sure to really really think about what you're doing because intelligence and creativity may be just the same thing yeah that's an interesting point reminds me of this like so we're my, my kids like two years old we're waning him off his uh his his soothie like you know the pa- pacifier uh, and he just he came up with a name with it he calls his pacifier uh, beta and we're weighing him off of it and then he's got these puzzle pieces and these puzzle pieces are these like discs that have like a knob on them so in an abstract sense it's kind of like his pacifier which is it's got a knob and it's flat and so he he looks at me he starts laughing he's like <laughs> beta and he just puts it in his mouth this wooden puzzle piece that like you know and it's like oh my god and he starts like using it like a pacifier I'm like that is a very creative creative solution to to us taking something away from you i just thought that was uh, super super crazy but uh costa let's, let's hear from you uh then after costa um we'll circle back to uh keith's question so the interesting point there was the um i mean the recurring idea of like doing more within the limitations of your environment right um not necessarily knowledge uh intelligence coming more from creativity than knowledge so this is something i, I had an interesting conversation with another percussionist this was probably going back about six years ago, right? And it was at a time when a much younger, much dumber me was kind of annoyed at all the rules and constructs. I'm a a classical musician, particularly South Indian classical music, right? And and we have a lot of rules and grammar around it, much like any kind of classical art form. And the the funny thing to me back then was like, "Ah, I'm kind of sick of all these rules. I'd like to break a lot of these rules. Um, And then having that conversation with him, who was much more mature musician at that point um, was kind of eye-opening because what he said was basically the real creativity lies in how you can work within the confines of those like those rule sets right now we do that in music Uh, we, we we set up these confines for ourselves and then we try to work around them to come up with interesting solutions that other people haven't thought of before to resolve a melody or to resolve a rhythm pattern or something like that right um so, it, it, yeah, you're right. It is about working within the confines of what's available to you, sometimes limiting yourself uh, in terms of what you're able to use helps you come up with more creative solutions, right? Um, it, it kind of lines up with the whole, uh, what was it, that, 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 um, that there's that whole thought experiment. Well, I mean, I'm, I think it's actually been proven in real life as well, where if a company presents six flavors, people can make decisions more clearly than if they present 20 or 30 flavors because they're just inundated with too many options and ways of doing things. So often if you actually 
cut down your ways of doing things, you actually end up with more progress. And um, what Fabio was saying was essentially what we're talking about is synthesis level thinking, right? Now, if you, if you look at any kind of teaching syllabus, you've got different levels of teaching and knowledge understanding, right? The loss of which is just like recollection. It's like, hey, fact, this is this equation. Synthesis level problems, you see them in like university exams and stuff like that, is your last question, the one that everybody struggles with, is where they just give you a problem to solve. Um, but that's really the level of thinking that we're starting to encourage more and more with these kinds of tools. Uh, so the, the question becomes, as tools like DALI and all of this pull away the value of recollection, human recollection is, we've already like destroyed the point of human recollection, right? Rewind 20 years, you'd be memorizing friends' phone numbers, right? Like I knew all of my mates' home phone numbers off the top of my head, for sure, right? That was like 15 years ago, right? Now it's like, I don't remember, I don't remember, you know, my best mate's mobile number because it's all in there. We've killed recollection level thinking. It's just pointless now. So now we're moving up the ladder and the only things that's going to eventually be left, and I suspect it's not that far away, probably like 20 years away, right, is that synthesis level creative thinking. So how do we train ourselves to do more of that and bring out that like inherent human, like intrinsic value that humans do bring is that synthesis level thinking, right? Um, but here's the trade-off is, is exactly what we're talking about is we're capable of evil and we're capable of great good as well, right? Just because a tool is capable of great evil, does that mean we shouldn't use it for great good, right? Um, this is something that uh, like Richmond Alake on, on his podcast, um, one of his, uh, so someone there was talking about essentially, if we had a way of diagnosing skin cancer that was 95% effective for one particular race of people, but was only like 40% effective for the other race, does that mean we should not save the kids that are from the race of benefits from it just because it's not equal and balanced and fair, right? The same way with Dali too. Sure, we could start creating on-the-fly imagery that influences people to think in a certain way, but at the same time, look at it the other way. Let's say we get to photorealism with something like Dali too. Right now, let's, let's take surgical training in VR, right? I know Sydney University is trying to do uh, dental training uh, with VR equipment, teach dentists to, to basically use their tools, right? And they come up with fake scenarios. The problem is they've only got three or four fake scenarios. It's very expensive to curate them because the people with the knowledge of what that should actually look like are completely different people and have probably never sat in the same room as the people that can have the technological capacity to create those images uh, synthetically, right? Unless they're working on their teeth, which is exactly how I ran into this, right? A, a, a dental nurse, I was talking to her after my dentist appointment and she was talking to me about this and I'm like, cool, we should actually explore this. But what if we can get to a point where I, as a surgical specialist, I'm not a surgical specialist, but I, as a surgical specialist could say, hey, I want to see something like a slip disc, but I want to see it in the C5, C6 instead of the C3, C4, right? And I want to see it with these additional factors. Um, and I want to see an X-ray of that. I want to see an MRI of that. I want to see an ultrasound of that, right? To see what tissue damage is around it. What if we could auto-generate based off the knowledge of extremely specialized people 
so much more high fidelity experience that it makes complex surgeries a lot safer because a surgeon is allowed to see many variations of it long before they even encounter it in the real world, right? So if we're able to do that with something like Dali 2, does that make the, the essentially the benefits outweigh the, the other side, I guess, right? Um, Tom, let's, uh, let's, let's go to you. Yeah, looks like I got a follow-up here. Go for it. Shout out to Mark Freeman okay. in the building. Yeah, I got excited about Mark showing up too. I just wanted to back up uh, Costum's excellent point. And I, I kind of forgot when we were talking earlier about Dolly 2 and the fears with it, it's going to be something powerful. And it's going to be able to use be used for a lot of good also. Uh, quick illustrations, uh, I could go on and on. Um, but I think that's something really good to remember. Few things in life are powerful that can't also be used for harm. And so um, when people used to ask me on shows about the fear of AI, it said, oh, I don't, I'm not afraid of AI at all. I'm actually just afraid of whose hands that power is in. It's, it's not, it's powerful. So yeah, it can be used for bad. But I think if we keep doing communities like ours, keep encouraging the use of AI for good, it's gonna do the best we can do as humans to keep it at bay is my thought. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, interesting point here by Russell. Sugar can be super bad for diabetics, but we do not remove it from use for those that are not affected. Um, uh, yeah, interesting point. Uh, something Kosop was talking about reminded me of, uh, he's talking about just being felt confined by the rules. I was talking to Matt Blaza, feels like it was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was talking about this concept of shuhari, which I thought was super, super interesting. I think uh, I was talking about this with Vin on the ride to uh, to, the, to the Giants game. And it's pretty much the the idea that you gain knowledge in like three stages. Shu is the beginning stage where students follow the teachings of a master precisely. They concentrate on how to do the task without worrying too much about the underlying theory. Uh, ha is at the point at which the student begins to branch out. Basic practices working, they can start to learn the underlying principles and theory behind the technique. And then re is, uh, they aren't learning from anyone anymore, but from their own kind of practice. They create their own approaches and adapt uh, what they've learned to their own particular circumstances. So I thought that was uh, kind of fitting there. Um, Let's go to uh, Keith. Keith, you had a uh, question you had queued up. Sorry, it took an hour and a half to get there. <laughs> but well, remember, I asked the, I, I kind of spontaneously asked the second question that we got so much, uh, you know, amazing uh, uh, insight from. Uh, I'll make one final comment about this uh, last topic that I'd never thought about this about Dolly too. But what if you could take uh, somebody's medical records and maybe X-ray that's actually been taken, so like an actual X-ray, but create kind of a virtual reality digital twin from all that information because if it was very complex surgery the surgeon could potentially try the procedure if it was very high risk before doing it in reality that's uh that's a super cool um idea you know that we that we were bouncing around basically so the question i wanted to ask them the group was what topics they've been seeing at conferences. So I have a couple of comments along those lines as well, but 
I don't know about all of you. I did my first in-person conferences since shutdown this year, and I'm up to maybe five of them or or, wow. or something. I, I mean, I, I travel a lot. I, I would imagine everybody's had a chance to maybe do that many this year. Uh, Harpreet, I know you've done at least a couple, but maybe half dozen or more. I don't, I don't know. But so I'm, I'm uh, very curious about that. So I don't know where we want to start if I want to mention a couple of topics or I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what the group has to say, what they've yeah. seen. Yeah, a couple of concerts. I, I think I've been to two or three already this year. Mine's uh, are mostly MLOps uh, related, but I've got a couple queued up for uh, uh, at least two on the horizon. I got one in uh, September, September 27th and 28th, San Jose, the Intel Innovation Conference, which should be interesting. And then uh, in uh, October, I'm going to Tel Aviv for the uh, European Computer Vision Conference. Uh, I'm excited to see what's going on there. But uh, let's go to Fabio. Uh, he seems like he's uh, he's got some uh, some insights into this. Uh, what have you been seeing happen at conferences lately? Yeah. Uh, so being the only one in this region of Latin America, would like to share some light of what's happening here uh, from Mexico to Argentina, right? So of, of what I've been seeing here so far. Uh, I think one of the important topics that always, uh, and, and maybe this is old news for you guys in the U.S. or, or, or places, but uh, the, the topics about ethics has been very important in the last, I don't know, year and a half in this region. A lot of people uh, trying to create new laws for, for this. We don't have any law right now, so we are free to do whatever we want. And that's not ideal sometimes, right? So I think that one of the things happening in the region is a lot of discussions about bias of models and ethics and explainable machine learning, how to create new explainability. All, all these kind of things are super common in, in, in conference and here. Uh, one other thing that I've seen a lot um, is what I've been talking about hyper automation, these companies that are regular companies that have they are old companies in the region. They're trying to, to, to transform what they do in a lot of different things. So I, not only uh, the automation for, for basic stuff, but like automating a, a lot of different processes that are crucial to the company. For example, all the banks right now are trying to create uh, intelligent systems to uh, speed up the process of, of creating an account or, or ask for a loan. And, and, and right now it's a tedious process where, where, where someone has to look at the document and see, hey, you are this person, whatever. So I think a lot of the things we're seeing here in the region are hyper automation and, and the verification of, of the, uh, of, of these people regarding images and documents and all of that, a lot of NLP related with document AI systems, that has been very powerful. And another interesting thing um, I've seen is the public policies going to AI and, and, and data science. For example, here in Mexico and also in Argentina and Chile, uh, they have opened a lot of data so I, I, I know this is old news for more advanced countries, maybe, right? But it's it's good thing. It's, it's a good thing that we have now open data and we can download millions of data sets from what we do 
in government, in in the the, the police, the the the, the actual uh, way the government is spending our money. So that is all public now by law, and it's a very interesting talks about open data and all of that. And in a more technical sense, three topics has been very important in the region. One is um, automation of machine learning. This is the place I work right now. Uh, a lot of companies are trying to, to, to incorporate platforms of data science. Uh, a lot of uh, big companies like Amazon and Microsoft and and Google, they're now all jumping in the uh, in these AutoML tools. Uh, they have a lot of things now, and they're they're talking in all of the conversation in, in sorry in, in all of the conferences now. Second thing is about uh, the usage of data science for for small and medium companies. That has been also very interesting for you to know around ninety nine. 0.8% of companies in Mexico are small or medium-sized companies. And they are 72% of the people employed in the country is that. So it's a lot of impacts. Millions of people are, are getting impacted, not by huge corporations, but by small corporations. And we're seeing a lot of startups creating a lot of different tools for these type of companies, fintechs and stuff like that. Lastly, I think the, the, the one topic I also see a lot um, is trying to explain the business what's data science and a, a lot of data literacy it's happening right now in the region something that is very important that we keep doing um, most of the companies in the region they really don't understand what's AI like, I mean, they have no idea what to do with it so it's uh, we are in this process of um, explaining to the businesses what's going on and what they can do with it. So I think that's the, the panorama of the whole region. Again, from Mexico to Argentina is in there. If you combine is like 700 million people. So uh, it's a lot of people thinking on what's going on. And we are on the path of creating amazing stuff for our people. We, we, we haven't been, so, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be part of this, this group of people trying to uh, elevate the conversation to governments, to, to big companies, and also to small and medium-sized companies. Yeah. Thank you, Keith, for the question. It's a great question. Yeah, I'd love to comment on that, on that too. Your, your list is very, very similar to mine. So maybe I can make a couple of quick comments about that. First, um, actually, Harper, you mentioned something that's on my list too, the ML ops. So I mean, you've been to some conferences that are probably specifically MLOps conferences, but we were at um, ODSC together and there was a major MLOps presence. So um, there's no question that I'm seeing that. And I, I speak at um, the TDWI conference, which is really an IT conference. It's not primarily a data science conference. There's, there's a data science track, but it's primarily, well, you can tell in the name, data warehouse Institute, right? <laughs> anyway, but um, ML ops is, is becoming important there. So, so some, something's going on with ML ops. And I think it's, um, you know, uh, Joe and Matt, who sometimes join the happy hour, having great success with, and a lot of buzz deservedly so with their data engineering book. And I think people are starting to realize that these are two different career paths, that the, the people that build the models 
and then the whole infrastructure of maintaining and managing the you know the models that there's so much complexity that you can't you can't do it all you know so that that's definitely a trend no doubt about it then um then with some of the ones that you were sharing uh, fabio no question on the ethics fairness transparency explainable ai i noticed that a couple of actually one of the last conferences i went to before shutdown was um of the KDD conference in Anchorage. And I don't go every year, but it was in Anchorage. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to go to Anchorage, so, so I decided to go. And I noticed a ton of explainable AI stuff. I mean, my notebook was filled with this stuff when I left, and it ended up becoming kind of a, a research topic for me. And um, that's absolutely started to appear everywhere. I, I don't think I've been to a conference that didn't have at least a half dozen tracks on that and deservedly so, but uh, part of it is the more black box models you use, the more you kind of run into trouble with that. And then if you do get some public policy folks there, um, you know, I didn't, the KDD conference that I was at last week was in Washington, DC. And you would think there'd be like a government or public policy track and maybe I missed it, but I'm kind of careful about this kind of thing. But I'm sure they were floating around. I mean, there's just no way that you have a big conference like that in D.C. and you didn't have some public policy folks. So it may have just manifested itself in having discussions about explainable AI and transparency, even if the title didn't have, you know, government in there. But um, I, I don't know how many of you know anything about the KDD conference. been around forever. I think this was like the 28th one. And at the beginning of the week, they don't have concurrent sessions. They have workshops, but they're not like one guy or gal standing at a podium talking for a half day. It's not, that's not what they mean by a workshop. It's basically you have someone curating it and every 20 minutes, somebody presents a different paper or you, you meet as a group for an hour and then you meet at round tables or those kinds of things. So their notion of a workshop is a little bit different than other conferences, but they would have entire workshops dedicated to um, transparency um, as a topic. And, uh, oh, the automation one is interesting too, because it's absolutely the case that there's all kinds of stuff you got to automate that isn't, doesn't necessarily have a predictive model in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And there's, um, it's not, um, it's not a topic that I've spent a lot of time exploring, but I don't know if you guys have ever come across Ian Barkin. He's a thought leader. He has some courses on LinkedIn learning. That's that's like his thing is intelligent automation. And I know that he's been talking about how in a month he's going to a, a conference that is dedicated just to that. But it's automation in all forms, not just, you know, predictive models or those kinds of things. So, so no question that that's, um, that that's a trend. And... Uh, Oh, AutoML. Yeah. So I don't know if this was, if I'm the only one that this was new to, but the package that seemed to get a lot of attention, there were, there was a whole workshop at KDD on AutoML just in general. These papers, you got to realize are really super technical. They tend to be postdocs. People just finished their, their PhD and they're basically yeah. presenting their dissertation as a, as a 20 minute paper presentation. So there's a lot of Greek letters flying past you in these things. You have to have to stay stay caffeinated. And for me, you got to make note of the actual paper and go home and read it because listening to it only convince, you know, spending 20 minutes listening to it is only enough for me to figure out that I need to learn more. And then I have to actually go home and read 
um, uh, you know, a paper, but there was also a workshop dedicated in its, in, in its entirety to a tutorial on flamel, which apparently yeah. is a AutoML library that is gaining in popularity. Yeah. It's from Microsoft. Yeah. I, I, I am actually, so, you know, I'm, I, I work in H2O. We also have an, 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 a very famous AutoML tool. And next week I'm giving a workshop on all of the major auto ml tools i'm teaching so it's gonna it's, it's gonna be like a, a two-hour workshop i'm gonna talk about flamel h203 teapot auto escalern auto pytorch um and 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 pycarrot i think those are the ones that are changing the I mean, there's a lot more, but those are the ones that are changing the way we do things. And it's, it's, a, it's a super interesting place to work because uh, it's, it, it, it's getting easier. I mean, if you remember when we started this thing, it was super hard. I, I started working in Octave. You imagine. So uh, trying to go from, from Java and Octave to this super simple stuff, it's a very interesting thing. And I went to a um, H2O.ai conference once. In the Bay Area, they um they really put on a good show. I'll warn you, I'll, I'll, you'll probably get a direct message coming your way from me because I've been trying to figure out which three to five AutoML options are the ones to mention in an overview of AutoML. Or I don't know if anybody else has been trying to figure out, like for their organizations, for them personally, which one do I, which one do I consider learning or whatever. But uh, yeah. Um, uh, so you obviously have had to give that uh, give that some thought. So I'll be very contact sure. me. Don't worry, I'll I'm I'm happy to answer. Yep. I'd be interested in learning about Auto PyTorch. That does sound uh, sound interesting. Uh, Flamel F L A M L. It's uh, an implementation of uh, ML.net, which is out of Microsoft. I remember trying to use yeah. ML.net a few years ago, um, and that's when I was like, "You guys are tripping, trying to have me do .net." Um, I'm doing it in Python. Um, yeah. So, uh, thank you very much, Keith. Uh, great, great insights from the uh, from the conferences. Uh, hope to see you guys at a conference soon. I'll be in a couple uh, Intel Innovation September uh, in San Jose. Uh, I'll try to connect with my Bay Area peeps from out there, and then also uh, ECCV in Tel Aviv, and then probably one or two more before the year is over. Um, Mark, good to see you, man. Any questions or comments or anything? Man, this came to show up to support. <clears throat> I had a, had a last minute appointment. I was able to <laughs> rush in real quick. I was like, oh, I need to make it. Thank you, man. Thank you for being here. Uh, Kosa, let's go to you. Just just quick shout out. Um, uh, there's going to be a conference in Sydney called, called I think it's Data Edge Bytes. Um, and uh, Joe Reese is flying down to uh, to to be the keynote there. So I'm keen to finally meet him in person. I think he's the first one from this whole Nice. Happy hour that I'm uh, that I'm going to meet in person. So, yeah, super keen for that. When is Data Edge Bytes? That's in uh... September. Oh yeah, September. Too close. Yeah. September. Yeah. Well, if you're going to any uh, computer vision conferences or know of any computer vision conferences, let me know because uh, I will be going to a lot of those. Uh, try to try to front load. I'm also doing a bunch of meetup groups, deep learning meetups groups. Uh, you know, got got to front load travel before the baby comes in. Uh, in in january and then i gotta sit tight for a few months i should find a i should find a month of computer vision conferences to do a usa yeah. tour at some point yeah dude absolutely um 
All right, gay. Oh, thank y'all for uh, for being here. Appreciate you guys swinging by, Fabio. Good to finally meet you in person, and uh, uh, gotta uh, gotta gotta get you uh, on on the podcast soon. I'm actually I'm launching another podcast soon, uh, ish towards the end of the year. Uh, you guys know the artist of data science is not, you know, it's for data scientists, but it's really not always about data science. I always got a number of authors, some of them New York Times bestselling authors, some you know, a bunch of philosophers, and just a bunch of cool different people exposing us to interesting ideas. Um, Next podcast I'm launching is going to be all about deep learning and we'll be going super technical on this. And um, uh, it's going to be uh, sponsored by Desi. It's going to be, you know, one of the uh, in-house Desi podcasts that I'm doing, but I'm super pumped to just uh, have an outlet to talk about deep learning with, uh, with industry experts and, and just people who are, who are super into it. So if you are into deep learning, if you're an expert in deep learning, if you have a passion for deep learning, let me know. I'm going to have you on the podcast. Um, so definitely reach out. Uh, that's, you know, it's in the works. I'm still kind of strategizing what that's going to be like, but uh, you will hear me uh, in a couple of uh, uh, other contexts. Uh, Jasmia, for sure. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm part of a, uh, I feel so cool being part of a exclusive club with Jasmia, Club uh, Boucher. There's about, I think, 13 or 14 of us that meet once a month and we just talk about deep learning and stuff. Um, definitely going to be reaching out to Jasmine to be on the uh, on, on that new podcast, the uh, as yet unnamed podcast. Um, but it's going to be all about deep learning, specifically deep learning in production, how it's being used, the challenges people are facing deploying their deep learning models to production, how they're overcoming those challenges, and uh, what we could do during the model training and development process to kind of facilitate a smoother deployment process. Um, it'll be cool, man. I'm excited about it. And I'm, I'm super pumped. Uh, so if you're an I author, yeah, you know, I'll have you on there, man. Absolutely. No, yeah. And, and we, we have a new tool. It's called Hydrogen Torch. It's a new deep learning tool we have, and it has automation for deployment. And it's a very interesting system. Uh, so contact me on, on LinkedIn. I'm happy to talk about that. We're doing a lot of different stuff in the deep learning space. Nice. We, 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 we haven't jumped into the auto ML for deep learning. That is called NAS. It's called Neural yeah. Architecture, Architecture Research. That's what my company does. Uh, so Desi AI does. Uh, ah, we've we've de developed a NAS uh, kind of algorithm, and that's, that's our bread and butter thing is, is NAS. Good. Yeah. Okay. So just contact me there, and, and I'm happy to be there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, y'all, thank you so much for hanging around. Uh, it feels good having one of these long happy hour sessions. It's been a while since we've had like uh, one of these almost two hour episodes. Thank y'all for being here. Uh, you guys stay tuned for the new podcast. Remember, I'm going to be having a uh, new episodes released on the artist of data science coming in January. I'm just building up a backlog of uh, episodes, uh, you know, getting the cure at the dawn on. I know that was something that we were supposed to do, uh, but then my basement got flooded and that didn't work out. But a cure at the dawn will be on the podcast and I'll be live streaming that one. My friends, thank you so much for being here. Remember, you got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone. Thank you, guys.